Imagine a tomorrow powered by innovation, bringing the world together through real conversations about world-changing ideas, expert discussions with no boundaries. Coming up... When you're dealing with something as dangerous as saving lives on the private cellular network, you could really count on it. When we built it side by side, the client saw the measurements and they said, okay, now I understand why you're saying there's a difference with the use cases you build on private networks, on cellular networks versus the shiny new Wi-Fi system we already had in place. And now I clearly understand what do you mean by an IT system that moves data around versus an OT network that's actually monitoring critical events? This is the Real Conversations podcast by Nokia. Here is Michael Hainsworth. An IT network isn't the same as an operational network. As enterprise accelerates its move to Industry 4.0, it's finding its existing network isn't capable of handling the ultra-reliable, low-latency needs of next-generation sensors, cloud, and AI. That's where Jefferson Wang comes in. The global cloud-first networks and 5G lead at Accenture is shepherding companies into the future. He tells me the existing network is typically the weakest link in the chain, pulling an enterprise into the fourth industrial revolution. I think a lot of times we're starting these solutions and these solution discussions with trying to figure out what the business problem is and then working backwards. And when you go through that, you, you do a great job figuring out what the actual business impact is, what is the actual problem you're solving, what type of application you'll need. You'll try and think about compute and cloud and storage. And then eventually you almost assume that the network is there and ready. But a lot of times in that approach, you don't really dig into the actual network characteristics around latency. Is this more of a video-based solution where you need more downlink? Is this more of a situation where you need reliability and you need to keep the jitter down? So a lot of times that becomes an afterthought and you'll get into these pilots or these programs where you'll start to deploy and all of a sudden the network becomes the actual issue or the limiter uh, versus kind of designing that in from the beginning where we believe that the network can be the advantage. The network can be the actual competitive advantage if you design it in from the beginning. Right. You need to know what you need the network for, and then you need to build that around it. Uh, a system designed to ensure worker safety on an assembly line is going to have very different needs than a system that monitors the elevators. That's exactly right, Michael. And also, if you think about it, there's certain things that different types of networks can do that others cannot. And that's the actual competitive differentiator. I just talked to a client recently who said, hey, a lot of my manufacturing is right now in Asia and my competitors are in Latin America, and I talk to them about, well, your operations in Asia now, based on location, have access to 5G, have access to Spectrum, and access to these new networks, and there's a set of OT use cases that you can do as you build your new plant that your competitor won't have access to for another year or two. And that immediately kind of lit this light bulb up of, wow, The client said, so this network that I have based on just sheer luck of where my manufacturing location is, is a competitive advantage. So the heart of the matter, it seems we're trying to leverage existing IT networks to build out operational technology OT networks. How would you describe the distinction between the needs and objectives of the two? Yeah, it's it's a great question to really dig into, right? A lot of times we just think uh, all networks are created equal. They're always going to be there and we can use them for all the same purposes. There's a big difference between an IT network that's originally designed for you know more data-centric computing or just moving data around. Think about kind of your HR systems that need to move data around versus an OT network on operations 
which is really focused on monitoring critical elements, measuring important processes, dealing with devices. So that OT network is really mission critical. Your business is dependent upon it. And it's a different level of reliability and security and availability. Your example with the the client in in Asia is fascinating to me because with 5G and private networks, one of the key benefits is ultra low latency, high volume of connected devices, yet the patchwork of network technologies that a lot of companies are already using and trying to deploy actually degrades performance. Yeah, it's a a big problem, right? That a lot of times when network is an afterthought, the situation becomes, well, let's just use whatever we have and try and fit the solution, the application or the compute layer into it and figure it out. And the situation you run into is that this patchwork of networks becomes that that limiting factor. You've got tons of operational expense on keeping all these different network technologies running. You've got different upgrade patterns where a lot of times this types of uh, equipment are failing at different times. And then you've got just overall performance inconsistencies. So it's really hard to develop solutions that work across this. For example, if you've got multiple solutions based on location, take mining as an example. You've got an above ground network and you've got a below ground network. And those are two very different situations. And a lot of times the above ground, you know, you could get away with potentially just Wi-Fi. Uh, But below ground, you have to think about a whole different technology pattern. Uh, And as a result, those decisions really require something more common and uniform. So if you design an application for that, you're going to go to the lowest common denominator, which may not be the best solution for, as you said, worker safety, productivity or efficiency. When the network is an afterthought, as you say, how does the economics of the situation dictate the rollout? When you look at new technology like 5G, a lot of times people get frustrated at how long it takes to actually deploy some of these networks. And as we move higher in the spectrum frequencies, you need a more dense network and it's taking time for the public networks to, to catch up. Luckily now, you know, we're working with Nokia quite a bit around private networks and that's just a different deployment pattern so that we can actually surgically fix some of these situations faster. But when you, when you work with the economics of that, a lot of times we've run into, and we're already working with clients around the situation where you've got an upgrade of the network that just happened for millions of dollars, and it could have been upgrading the IT Wi-Fi systems. And you've already kind of gone through that spend, and you're supposed to be kind of getting these benefits from it on the IT side, which you are. And all of a sudden, they hear about a 5G private network or a private LTE solution, and they kind of say, I don't really have additional budget for this. I don't, I'm not ready to now commit to dollars to this across my entire landscape of you know, 13 manufacturing plants, for example. So we're running into situations where we have to, one, you know, find and prove the economics, two, start with a pilot to prove the benefits and the break-even, and then three, slowly work into scaling it out. But a lot of that is because with new technology, the actual enterprise has already gone through an upgrade cycle. They're already kind of tight on spend. We're running into a very difficult economic situation coming up um, that has a lot of uncertainty to it. So you really have to be very tight on how you're positioning this, how good your business case is, and when you can actually see the value. 
Right. You see enterprises spending $20, $30 million upgrading their existing Wi-Fi network, as you point out. And then suddenly there's this big new shiny thing that is required to actually make the use cases viable. How do we find the dollars to support spending even more money? Yeah, we we found almost two different types of clients in the market right now. And that's not where it'll stay. It's just where the bifurcation is happening initially. There's one group that has just a very, very forward-thinking technology group that says, with private networks, with 5G, with these new wireless technologies, we absolutely need to take advantage of it. Let's find the budget and squeeze other parts of it. Potentially, it's savings from cloud. So as they move off these data centers, they're getting these savings going to an as-a-service cloud model, and they're repurposing, or we're helping them repurpose those savings to new wireless technologies to make it a platform like a private LTE or private 5G network. That's one group of clients. We're finding another group of clients that are as exactly what you just said, Michael, They're, they just spent $25 million. We, we probably helped them modernize their Wi-Fi systems. And now they're saying, what can we do to figure out cost savings and bring that break-even point in fast enough so that we can apply this to the rest of the deployment. So we'll do a pilot, we'll do a business case, and we'll say, we believe you can break even in this amount of time with this many actual use cases. We'll test it out and actually come as close as we can to those. And then it gives the company the confidence to say, okay, now I can deploy this in 13 or 14 different plants or sites uh, based on the business case you put forward, and my cost savings comes in uh, you know, from X to Y by Z timeframe. Yeah, I'm fascinated to learn that Accenture has built an entire business case system using artificial intelligence to come out with what the output needs to be. As we went through this journey with Nokia, we found certain blockers on the business strategy side of this. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily the the radio or the core uh, that was the issue. It really became the actual soft things like the actual funding or the talent. And when you look at kind of the funding part of it, like we just described, we ended up having to build solutions around it so that we weren't stuck in that pilot paralysis scenario. So we built this, it's um, going through the U.S. patent process, it's patent pending right now, but it's a business model and a business case that actually takes the inputs of the different use cases, the different requirements of the network. For example, uh, how much square feet, what type of radios, is it an on-prem core, what type of edge compute, all of those things. And as it takes all of that, it kind of goes through a a machine learning and an AI solution where it actually spits out, hey, this is when you can expect a break-even point. This is when you can expect the actual payback happen. And dynamically, as you change and increase the number of use cases or as you change the actual requirements, the number of radios for density, it's automatically adjusting to it. So that really gives the C-suite of the enterprise a lot of confidence that you've dealt with the sensitivity, you've dealt with the different scenario plannings, and you have reasonable level of confidence to start this trial. You know, please allow us to move forward. Yeah, at the end of the day, the C-suite is interested in when you're going to break even on this, when it's going to start uh, being accretive to the, to the business. Tell me, though, about, you know, everything being sold as a service these days. Does it help the business case to go with network as a service? There's a lot of discussion we're working with clients on in that scenario right now. So we're seeing situations where the clients will ask us, hey, you know, work in the old model where the client will purchase the hardware and then potentially for management, they'll, they'll come to um, uh, different groups to do kind of the management of it. 
there's other scenarios where they're saying, hey, just like we're dealing with the cloud buying dynamics, can we think about an as-a-service model? You know, where our CapEx is just really tight right now. We're having a lot of difficulty unlocking spend, uh, but our, our OpEx is looking okay. So can you help us with an as-a-service model? And I think that's caused us as an industry to have to work together differently in partnerships, right? I mean, typically in a resale model, we've always been very used to reselling hardware or actually dealing with the warranties. But in this model where they're kind of taking that as a service model, we all have to renegotiate <laughs> working together. The ecosystem has to change how they deal with it to deliver what the client's looking for. But I think each industry is different. For example, the trade-off is there's certain critical infrastructure companies and clients that we work with that require not only owning the hardware for security reasons and control, but they also want the monitoring to happen onshore, near shore. They also want this certain set of security requirements. So there's you know different SLAs that they require. So it really depends on the industry uh, that we're working with, but we are seeing more clients ask us for an as-a-service model. So if use cases determine the needs of a network and its build-out, does a network need to be purpose-built? You know, do you have to scrap all the old infrastructure and rebuild from scratch? We're dealing with both greenfield and brownfield scenarios right now. Greenfield being like a new build or a new factory, and brownfield being retrofitting. And uh, you know, certainly it's a lot easier to deal with greenfield scenarios where we can actually design in from the beginning what is the actual family of use cases of the problems that we're trying to solve, put it into that patented business case modeling tool that actually spits out the break-evens and the actual benefits, and then start to go into traditional network design, deploy, and run. There's other scenarios where we're actually retrofitting, and, and that's more challenging, right? So I'll give you an example. We're working with a large uh, furniture manufacturer right now, one of the largest in the world. And you know they first were already working with Accenture on other parts of the transformation and kind of said, hey, we're hearing a lot about 5G. We're hearing a lot about private networks. Can you come talk to us about it? You're already working with us across other parts of the transformation. So when we came in and started to discuss that, what we found is that when you're starting to deal with patchwork networks, like you talked about before, we purposely built our video analytics solution for worker safety on Wi-Fi to start. And we, we told the client this at first. We said, we want to prove to you why cellular is very different than Wi-Fi. And, and they said, well, we just spent all this money upgrading our Wi-Fi, <laughs> just use it, right? Right. So we built the solution and we said, okay, it's going to be a video analytics solution where you know Michael uh, is on the line and he's working in front of a drill press that's fast spinning. And we spend millions of dollars a year on worker safeties and worker comp issues because of um, you know your hand gets hit by the drill press, your gloves get spun up by fast moving machinery, and, and some of the worst things can happen. Um, can you help us solve this? So we built a solution where the actual video analytics is determining how far Michael's hand is away from the drill press. Use case one, if you don't have your protective gear on, like your hard hat, your eyeglasses, uh, and things on, we just don't start the machine. So you're not allowed to start the machine unless you're prepared. So we do avoidance. The second use case we built was, let's say Michael's hand, unfortunately, gets on the drill press by accident and the drill press uh, gets pretty close. We give you an audible warning that's loud enough over all the different sounds on the machine floor that can tell you, hey, your behavior is, is dangerous. The last one we built out 
was that if that drill press comes down and we get to a certain distance from your hand on the drill press, we stop the machine instantly. So we just cut the power. So we, we, we avoid that massively catastrophic damage that could happen. Now, when we built that on Wi-Fi, we knew the latency would be higher. But what we didn't think about is how big the standard deviation from those latency measurements were. So we found that you know, round-trip latency was you know, 300 milliseconds round-trip from network to application and back. And the standard deviation could have been 30 to 35 milliseconds difference. So you could get a difference between 270 to 330 milliseconds difference in Wi-Fi. It's a pretty big gap. When we deployed the same video analytics worker solution onto private cellular, we found that, of course, the latency came down, right? Round trip came down to the, to the double digit level, but the standard deviation was six milliseconds. Hmm. So it was incredibly more reliable on the private cellular network. It was incredibly um, more just, you could really count on it when you're dealing with something as, as dangerous as saving lives. So when we built it side by side, the client saw it and they saw the measurements and they said, okay, now I get this. Now, you know, I, I believed you before. Uh, that's why we started this program. But now I understand why you're saying there's a difference with the use cases you build on private networks, on cellular networks versus the shiny new Wi-Fi system we already had in place. And now I clearly understand what you mean by an IT system that moves data around versus an OT system or network that's actually monitoring a critical event. After this podcast, learn more about this and other insightful topics by going to nokia.com slash real conversations. There you'll find additional information linked to today's podcast. The conversation about, you know, security systems uh, to ensure that workers are, are safe, et cetera, has got me thinking about different security systems. The, the securing of an OT network, infinitely more complex than securing an IT network when you've got the risk of lateral threats from bad actors moving from a camera to uh, an AI system that is figuring out what that camera is seeing. The days of single ring fences are, are over. How does an enterprise Avoid, though, the whack-a-mole of trying to stop intrusions from skipping around a network. Yeah, it's, it's such a good question, right? I mean, if you just looked at the example we just talked about, Michael, around worker safety and video cameras, I mean, you can imagine that now you've got this increased threat surface. You've got different types of devices. It's not just smartphones or tablets, which was already kind of difficult to deal with in an enterprise network. Now you've got cameras, now you've got sensors, now you've got machines, now you've got all sorts of devices out there. You've got new network elements that maybe you weren't dealing with before. You might have an on-prem radio, you might have on-prem compute or a core even. Now you've got this network that's different. You've got an increased number of devices and types of devices. This threat surface is massive now. So this whack-a-mole concept you bring up is such a funny visual to me because it's so true. Before it was, okay, connect a circuit, you know, put up a firewall and move on to the next branch site or the edge location. Right. And now that's just not, you just can't do that anymore, right? I mean, one, it would take forever and it's not flexible enough. But two, you can't deal with that threat surface. So, so we have to completely re-architect. And then what we're doing is working with clients on not only kind of the, the policy and the philosophy and, and bringing zero trust networking into the very beginning of the design process, but we're also changing the architecture of the network so that we're making sure that 
these endpoints, these network elements are all being secured differently. And it's not just a put up a firewall situation and, and hope for the best, but it's re-architecting the network and using more of a zero trust uh, policy-based solution. Right. So you've got to change the philosophy right on up the, the, the chain of command. But I'm fascinated that, that Accenture is involved in enterprise network decisions. I would have assumed that's typically a conversation with a hardware vendor. And it is. It is. You know, what's different now, I think, is that there's a couple big trends that are happening. Uh, number one, certainly there's more hardware vendors. <laughs> you know, now that there's hardware and software disaggregation, there's just new players involved. So that becomes one big trend. The, the second big trend is that um, a lot of these enterprises are already going through big transformations at other parts of the business. We call it, you know, total enterprise transformation. And as you're going through that, Accenture's already involved in a lot of that total enterprise transformation, whether it's in the, the back office or the front office, whether it's in other departments, you know, Accenture being a 700,000 plus person company, we're generally already helping much of the G2000 with different parts of transformation. As we get into those discussions and as we get into those deployments and implementations and finishing out the transformations, a lot of times this conversation of network transformation comes up or we proactively bring up the discussions around the need for a modern network that's flexible enough to keep up with the speed of business and how we're able to actually think about the network differently. And, that, and that's where we've had a good partnership with, with Nokia to have these conversations. On a previous episode of Real Conversation, we had uh, Industry 4.0 founder Henrik von Schiel tell me that people are at the center of transformation. What's Accenture's view on that? Massively important. A lot of times in the other transformations that we're working on, you'll be able to really have a good conversation with the C-suite who will agree to the need to transform, the need for the speed of this and the flexibility and the different cost savings that are coming up. But when you get to the next layer down, when you start to try and do these projects, here's an example. You, you'll find that the SVP of engineering grew up with all those engineers. He grew up with everybody uh, from that department. And you're coming in to talk about transformation that does affect those jobs. And all of a sudden, you kind of run into this roadblock of what a great idea the C-suite wants to do it. But then you find a thousand reasons underneath on why. And a lot of it does come down to well, are we going to get rid of all these engineers that we had grown up with, or are we going to find a path forward? So again, just like when it came to private networks, we had to find a solution, build out a, an, uh, you know, an AI-driven business case for transformation. We also had to start to look at a very clear plan on talent and upskilling and training and, and new plans for these folks that, that potentially may have jobs that... Um, uh, for example, the worker safety, you could use the same video analytics solution on the same private network. And we've also repurposed that to quality assurance. In that quality assurance, let's say, you know, Michael and his colleague were checking the actual tolerances of a widget coming off a manufacturing line. Well, now what are Michael and his colleague going to do when we're using video analytics to check the tolerances of quality assurance? Well, we're going to have Michael upskill into a different part of the business, right? So we train Michael up to potentially building algorithms, potentially checking the tolerances over the video analytics, or potentially doing other parts of the business. And that plan 
then gives confidence to the SVP level that says, oh, you've, you've looked at this holistically. It's not just an automated solution on a private network that's more reliable, but you've also had a plan for our people. And you actually have an upskill plan and a, a new placement plan for each of our people into the business. And that generally unlocks a lot of that, that challenge. So I suppose since people are often resistance, uh, resistant to change, we also have to focus on upskill change management. Do you get the sense that enterprise, the C-suite, recognizes this is a significant issue? Uh, we, we hope so. <laughs> we're trying to make sure we're driving the awareness of that, right? I mean, so I think there, there's a couple things that we're really pushing hard on with the awareness. The first big message is that a modern network is required for digital transformation, and it is a competitive advantage. The second message is if you buy into that thesis that the modern network is this competitive advantage and required for digital transformation is how do we find the actual talent, upskill, and plan so that we take into account everybody involved? And then the third part is, is what type of funding and sources of funding do we think about? And those are the three big messages we're trying to drive awareness on as we go through this journey. The Real Conversations podcast by Nokia, building a future that's sustainable, productive, and inclusive together. Discover how by visiting nokia.com slash no boundaries.